Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Harriet Kimmick with Down to Earth, the show in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today on our show, we are talking about prisoners and the coronavirus, how the coronavirus is impacting prisons and prison centers and prison facilities across the country. This is a problem, not just for Metro Detroit, not just for the state of Michigan, but we're finding that it is happening in other parts of the country. Today, we are focusing on Ohio. And I want to say that the coronavirus has so far, I I mean, literally ravaged our lives. Let's just be clear. It has clearly had an impact on every facet of American life. And we can't ignore the long-term impact. Some of these impacts are going to be long-term. I I hesitate to say that, but it is what it is. Some of these impacts we're not going to recover from. Some of these impacts are going to bring changes that are going to last for a while. In fact, we're seeing that right now. It has impacted our economy to the extent where we probably are not going to recover before the excuse me by the end of the year. Uh, even if people go back to work, the economy is not likely to be resuscitated quickly. It is going to take some time. And the movers and shakers of industry understand that. Hence, they're advocating for a quicker return to mitigate and minimize the damage that has been done. It goes without saying, it fails to say it is not going to happen in the time frame that they want it to be. It's not likely that a quick return is going to happen simply because the virus is the one dictating what we do. And if you don't believe me, just look at oil prices. I mean, just a few days ago, oil traded on the U.S. stock market, on the commodities market for below zero dollars. America kind of just flooded the whole thing with oil and made it below zero dollars. Did you and I ever think we would see that? Never. Anybody who remembers the OPEC crisis, I don't. You probably don't. (laughs) But after OPEC and the resulting chaos that oil producers have put the world through for the last 40 years, I kid you not, it's about time we control that market. So I agree with that one. Control that market and control that one because they have done significant damage. Because oil is energy, and energy drives economies. Energy drives functions. So America is in a place right now where America is saying, look, this is about America and Americans, and we're going to protect what's within these borders and our territories first. Then we look at other parts of the world, right? So this is the coronavirus is nothing to be met to mess with. It's not simple. I I heard one preacher, somebody put out on on Facebook that one preacher said there will be glory after this. And I'm like, seriously? Where? Are you going to glorify people's family members dying? Is that glory? You really think God gets a pleasure out of watching people's family members die? Like seriously, watch your words when you're speaking and you're bringing healing and comforting words to people, right? There's not going to be any glory after this. It's not going to be glorious. 
because we're all suffering one way or another. It, you, you try to think you can escape it, but you can't. Yesterday, I got so tired of being home. I hadn't been out since Saturday, and I really couldn't take it anymore. So I, I went to chop the smoothie to get a smoothie. Don't judge me. <laughs> and then after that, I went to the dollar store to get some uh, something. I can't remember what it was. Uh, some One of these little things. One of these little fluff pops. I just wanted something to fluff and play with. And <laughs> I went to the dollar store. And everybody was masked up, gloved up, right? Everybody was, was masked up and gloved up and just really, really paying attention. And when I looked at people's faces, you could see nobody is ready or no one thinks that they're ready to go back to work and to go back into the public. Because it's clear now that social distancing achieved the effect. It minimized the number of cases and it mitigated the circumstances. So even though people are still getting infections, they're not dying because we reduced the rate of infection so it didn't overwhelm the healthcare system. Right, and then we could provide relief services to those who came in. So people are not dying as much because we have gotten smarter at understanding and treating the virus. But the rate of infection is still clear. Now, when you look at the economic impacts here in in in, in Southeast Michigan, one of the largest healthcare systems in Michigan, Beaumont Health System, announced this morning that it was laying off 2,400 workers. That's a lot of people. Uh, the CEO said he took a 78% pay cut and members of his executive staff took a 43% pay cut. And they totally eliminated 460 positions. Sounds to me like that is something they always wanted to do. Sorry, not sorry. The layoffs that could see. And it makes you wonder about these large companies though, don't you? Because in, in other times, when times were prosperous, there were big pimping around here. They were acting like they were the dawn and, you know, everything was going good. So how come you hit one month when you didn't have as many people going in to do surgeries in the hospitals and all of a sudden you're flat out broke? Something is wrong with that picture. Are you seeing what I'm saying? And according to them, they have, uh, according to them, they have uh, uh, reduced the number of people coming in for surgeries like heart transplants, elective surgeries, facelifts, and something that concerned me, mammograms. And I said to myself, seriously, you, in, in, you made less money in the, at the end of the first quarter, and that significantly damaged your outlook. So instead of paying out money, so you should have the money reserved for all the years you were prosperous. Because let's just be clear, people have always been sick. People have always had cancer treatments and cancer surgeries. Let's just be clear, hospitals thrive on people being sick. That's why when you go to the doctor, the doctor wants you to be sick. They tell you have a cold, but no, it's cancer in your nose, cancer in your throat, so they can give you some cancer drugs so you make money for the drug companies and for the hospital and for the doctor. Do you see what I'm saying? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a whole other time. That's, that's a whole other story for a whole other day. The, the system is driven on us being sick. So if you're not sick, they don't want you because you're, they're, not, you're, they're not making money. So now this largest healthcare system in the state of Michigan says they're, closed, they're, they're sending people home. I feel like it's going to be more, right? There are more 
who are going to emerge and take advantage of the pandemic and say, well, it's the pandemic. No, they always wanted to do it. They just didn't want the bad publicity associated with it. And now they're doing it. Because I don't believe that Beaumont's health system is flat out broke, that it is going to send home so many people. They're like, if we lay them off, then let the government pay them so we don't have to pay them. (laughs) That sounds more like what it is, right? Isn't it something? It's just like yesterday, we all read where that uh, Shake Shack, that restaurant chain, that burger chain, they they refunded, returned $10 million in loans that they took. And you and I were like, why would you take a $10 million loan when you have hundreds of millions of dollars that you have earned in revenue? So why would you go take a short-term loan? Why would you go take a $10 million loan and you made so much money already? Right? When other small businesses can't get approved and can't get the money. But these large companies who have hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue took all the small business loan because small business based on you having up to 500 employees, they took the small business loan and dried it up. Wow, this pandemic has really, really done something to our consciousness. It has really brought home to us that there are parts of ourselves we need to improve that our humanity needs some brushing off and refreshing and cleaning up, yeah, and doing something. This is just the craziest thing I have ever heard. Just think about it. The coronavirus has changed us indelibly, and we are going to have to respond to that change. So today I want to talk about Ohio prisoners who are dying from the coronavirus. Now, let me just for a moment of transparency, to talk about what happened here in Wayne County, Michigan, just a few weeks ago, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, they took the step to release prisoners whom they said were nonviolent, right? So those who probably had misdemeanors and, and stuff like that. But included in that number were a number of men, because domestic violence is a misdemeanor. It's not a felony, right? Because they're not really charged for assault. Right, So the classification of it renders it a misdemeanor, not very fair to the victims and survivors of domestic violence. Right, That's something that going forward has to change. So they released these people who probably were caught for like weapons possession or something like that. I don't know. They released all these people right, because they were afraid that they would catch the virus. And they sent them back. Why is that thing scaring me? And they sent them back into the community. Do you think that was fair? Not necessarily, because you sent back some violent people who like to walk around and fire shots, violent people who like to threaten other people, violent people who like to drive aggressively on roadways, violent people who come this close, and the only place that is good for them is prison. That's the only place where they are subjected and they're monitored and held accountable, and that's where some of them belong. Now, then you have those, of course, who are in prison, prison, and who are facing life and facing and so on. Now, these individuals are getting sick because prisons, by and large, are not the best places and have the highest sanitation standards. So in Ohio, Ohio prisons have emerged as the largest hotspot of virus infections in the U.S. It has taken over New York. Let me give you some numbers that I came across. Uh, 1,828 inmates tested positive in a prison system north of Columbus. Are you all hearing me? So people in Columbus, they're probably going to send some folks home. Be careful, right? 
Uh, that's more than the meatpacking plant in South Dakota. 1,828 people, one in five cases. Listen to this. This is what got to me. One in five cases in Ohio is traced back to a prison. Are you listening? One in five cases of COVID-19 in Ohio is traced back to a prison. Four of the 10 largest known sources of infections in the country are correctional facilities. That's just some serious food for thought. It makes us wonder going forward, how are we going to control and determine sanitation in, in prisons? We're going to have to do something about that. That is something we're going to have to do. We're going to have to look at how our prison, because here's the thing. The prisoners are in prison, ostensibly for a period of time, right? So they're not interacting. They're not coming out into the community every day. But you know who are? Who? The workers, the prison wardens, the security guards in prisons, the cleaners, right? The, uh, the, the nurses who go in prisons, the social workers, the lawyers, the clerks. Those are the people who go into prisons and come out. They're likely to in, be infected by prisons, just being in the air, and de- by prisoners and just being in the atmosphere of the prisons, and then they come out into the community. This is why I say now looking at viral infections, we are going to have to determine going forward a policy on how this works because we're going to have to start saying, look, it looks like that what we are fighting in the next millennia is not a war with men and arms and, and, and weapons. The war is viruses. And if that is the case, we're going to have to develop a policy where they're going to have to mass sanitize prisons. From what I have heard, prisons are a breeding ground for diseases. We, in, in Wayne County, Michigan, I told you the story some time ago about a man who was uh, discharged from prison, shall we say? He was in prison for drunk driving. That's another thing we're going to have to look at. How, what are we sending people to prison for? Why are we sending people to jail on a drunk driving charge if there was not an accident associated with it? In other words, what I'm saying is if you just pull the guy over and he was drunk driving, prison is probably not the place he should go. Suspend his license. Yeah, they do that too. But don't send them to prison because this guy went to prison on drunk driving and he came out a dead man. In the meantime, he infected about 1,600 people because he got on a bus. Would you believe they gave him a bus ticket from Wayne County Jail? He got on a bus, took the bus to the wrong place, ended up in Southfield, Michigan. Yeah? Uh, Infected about 40 people there, then got on a cab to go to Taylor, Michigan, where he eventually died alone in his house. And they had to send the funeral home in there to take him out. Shocking? Yeah. He was in prison. So all those people whom he was in prison with, he coughed, he vomited, he had diarrhea, he spat all over those people. Right, So everybody who was in there, two deputies from the Wayne County Sheriff's Office died as a result of what happened in Wayne County Jail. They're just minimizing it for public relations effect. They just don't want people to think that the, you know, sanitation in prisons is bad. But it is. And it, it's, not, it's the way prisons are structured, the way we structure prisons, how many people are in a cell, uh, you can't have people moving freely around. So otherwise, everybody would just go to prison, right? So you, you have to restrict some movements. So they can't have access to like a bathroom where every time they feel like going to the bathroom, they just get up. So they close the cell off and there's a toilet right there in the cell. 
So everybody who is pooping, I've, I've never been inside of one, but um, I've heard stories. There's that smell when you get up into the prison, right? We probably are going to have to re-image how we do that, not because we feel sorry for prisoners, because frankly, some of these folks deserve to be in jail. Frankly, some of these people deserve to be there because of what they have done. They have committed heinous acts. Some of these people are dangerous to their own family members. They come out of prison and they hate the rest of us. They hate their family. They hate their family because their family didn't go to jail with them. They hate their friends and they come out of jail and they kill people. So a lot of the people who are, the people who are in prison, they probably need to stay there. But we're going to, for the health and safety of the rest of us, we're going to have to re-image how we do that. Not for them, but for us. Because the folks who work in prison, they are part of the community. They come in and out and go in and out every day. And they need to, the police officers and sheriff's deputies and so on, they need to be reassured that when they come out of there, they're not carrying anything that they're going to deposit on the people in their staff and the people who work in their facilities and at home, take it home to friends and to the rest of us as part of the community. But the coronavirus has taught us some things, and I seriously am hoping the people who are the powers that be are listening and are taking notes and are reading the material and are determining that, you know something, we probably need to look at this in a different way. We probably need to fix this. Now, I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know how prisons are structured because some people who go into prisons, let's just be clear, are really violent people. The only, the safest place for them to be is in a confined space. If they're allowed to roam the rest of the, the, the community, they will hurt others. Just recently in Detroit, we saw one case where a guy was driving a car and he kidnapped his own child. This is the craziest thing. He kidnapped his own child, took his own child, and the mother called the police because the father of the child who took the child told the mother that the only way he would return the baby is if she paid him money. So she called the cops. They started chasing him. The chase was all over the place. He didn't care whose life he endangered. He was reckless as he drove through the streets. And people were helping him. And I'm like, you don't know what he did. You don't know what he has done, but you're helping him. People like that are a danger to themselves and are a danger to their family members. This is his child. The baby, by the way, was about three months old. So he was willing to drive recklessly with a three-month-old baby in the back seat of his car without a car seat because the mother would not let him see the child. And he said, well, if you want the baby back, you would have to give me money for his own baby. Hello. Some of these folks probably, they probably need to stay where they are. But in the meantime, what about the rest of us? The rest of us can't be subjected. We can't get sick just because we're not treating prisons. So I don't know what they're going to do. I saw something else where it's happening in Mississippi. It's happening in Louisiana. It certainly is here in Michigan. In, in Michigan, up until the last count, there were 229 persons, 229 prisoners infected with the coronavirus. Now, according to the New York Times, they do say that the numbers are looking a little low because guess what? Not every state has put forward uh, their data. So not every state has uh, published the data that, uh, that, that it comes with this. 
and and it's it's quite shocking actually because uh uh we we don't know uh why this has happened right and the truth of the matter is that we we really want to know why uh why this has happened i mean think about it we're we're, we're talking about how did this happen? So the Federal Bureau of Prisons have not collated all the data because all the states and all the counties have not submitted the data. In fact, I'm going to be honest with you. We might be surprised when a month from now, six weeks from now, to find out that there are so many more cases of coronavirus than we realize because the data, the classification didn't come forward. In fact, they're saying so in New York State that some of the folks who died in January, especially older folks, whom they might have attributed that to pneumonia, might actually have been coronavirus. Could Same could be said of prisons. Now, we don't want to inflate the numbers. We want a true, realistic image of what really happened. But by the same token, we also want to know how on God's green earth are we going to keep these folks? You know, it, it maybe... When you look at it, there are so many people who are incarcerated, especially in Michigan, we have a high rate of incarceration. They've done a tremendous job in recent years of repatriating people and uh, commuting sentences and so on. But we have to really think about sometimes some of these folks who, are, who go to jail. It, it, it makes me sit back and wonder if some of this is preventable. And I'm wondering myself, at what point have uh, the circumstances around people contributed to them going to jail because think about it because frankly you and i are sitting here right it's wednesday it's tuesday morning the 21st of april 2020 this is down to earth the podcast right and you and i are able to be free and when you look at that you say to yourself now why wouldn't i want to continue to be free i'm enjoying my freedom you are enjoying your freedom where you are why wouldn't we want to be free? What's, what gives? Why wouldn't we want that? Right? And so you say, well, what pushes people to make the decisions that make? I, and I don't want to say be harsh on anybody, but it's choices. We've all sometimes been exposed to situations that have placed us in grim situations where the choices are minimal. But yet we choose to be free. That's how, just how I look at it. I choose to do the right thing because I want to continue to be free. It might take longer, but I want to continue to be free. Some of these folks are there, not because it's a misdemeanor, like they were you know, acting crazy, a bipolar, haven't taken their meds, and the only place they can take them to is prison because we don't have mental health facilities anymore because it's not a good budget thing. I kid you not, they took it out of the budget all around the country. So apart from that population of people who are in jail, the other population of people who are in jail are people who probably need to be there. Take, for instance, a guy who beat up his girlfriend, beat up his wife. Why should he be out here? Is he, isn't he going to beat up the next girlfriend and the next wife? Years ago when I volunteered for, uh, for a nonprofit, uh, one of the things that emerged was that the same person the same perpetrator had a minimum of four different cases of domestic assault against him. And because of HIPAA laws, we couldn't tell the person sitting in front of you seeking resources that this same person has had similar charges. And that was when the movement, this was about 10 years ago, that was when the movement for women to do background checks 
on potential lovers happened? Yeah. Like, seriously. So let's say you're some lonely housewife or some lonely heart out there. And you go to Match.com because I hear that they do that, too. They post profiles because prisoners have access to the Internet. I did not know that. Right? So it sounds like they're living a real peachy life. You have access to the Internet? Dude, people out here can't even pay Comcast or AT&T. Right? <laughs> I kid you not. So if you're some lonely heart and you post, you're on Match.com or eHarmony or whatever they're called some dating website, and there's some guy in jail planning to come out. He's up for parole, likely to be paroled. He has nowhere to go. Family don't want him. So he sets up a profile (laughs) and posts a picture, and he doesn't disclose in his bio that currently an inmate at. So you meet him, and you think he's all that because he's going to study your profile, knows everything about you. And then you go out with him. There you are. Right? I think we need to re-image the ways in which we do it. I don't know how they administrate prisons. I don't want to know. I'm not interested. You do what you do. But all I'm saying is, I hope in Ohio they're not going to mass release people, nor in Michigan, because those folks are already infected, and they're going to come and transmit, and it's going to become what we call community spread that is going to be vast and that is going to impact more and more people. One person infects 40 persons. So one of those, if there are 1,828 infected persons in Ohio, in an Ohio prison north of uh, Columbus. And if you think about that, 1,828 multiplied by 40, and you get the potential community spread that that is. So just like social distancing, keeping it controlled in a tightened environment, you're able to treat the folks who are infected and prevent death, hopefully, but at least it does not become community spread. You see what I'm saying? We have to think about rethink the ways in which we manage our resources. I think in America, we probably took things for granted too much. We just assumed that America was always going to be America and just sit there all the time. We never thought that there were some things we needed to take care of. We never thought that we would ever need ventilators. At the beginning of this crisis, I read where most hospitals just have a ventilator for one in 80 persons, and it's because of our history. We don't have a lot of people with viral infections, so we don't have a lot of people who come in in respiratory distress, into emergency rooms with respiratory distress. We're going to have to relook at how we bury people. Right now, in some parts of the world, they have resorted to mass cremation because that's the only thing that can effectively manage the number of people who have died. Here in the metro Detroit area, I read a report on the, the Detroit Free Press that 1,500 people died in the, in the metro Detroit area in southeast Michigan. And they were falling out about where to store the bodies. They were falling out about how they're overwhelmed one woman posted that when they went to the cemetery, there were like 10 other funerals in the one cemetery. And I said to myself, wait, we never thought about that? I just assumed that I'm a person and that's not my job to think about stuff like that. That's the people who work in that. That's what they do. So what I'm saying is the pandemic has shown some parts of our, our society that we do really well at. 
For instance, we have welfare systems, in fact, stuff like unemployment insurance that employers and employees contribute to. So when people don't work, they can get that. We have healthcare systems that can do with some improvement. It needs to be redone. It needs to be available to everybody. And I'm not talking about some shoddy system where you go in and they rough you up and send you out regardless. I'm talking about real first-class health care. So there are some things that we need to redo and rethink. Prisons is one of them. We're going to have to rethink how we house people in prison and how we treat them. We, we mass put people in and then kind of just leave it up to the guards to maintain order. But you have the guards with the guns and they lockdown systems, but what if it's a viral infection? How do you control that? We're going to have to re-image that. We're going to have to re-image who are we locking up and why? I mean, somebody who is a, a, a drunk driver, he's a danger to himself. Well, don't give him any reason to drive, right? Give him six months of community service or something. I think maybe we tried that before and, and it didn't work, so now they start locking people up. It is what it is. Some people don't learn. Maybe we are too free with our liberties, right? So people just take these liberties for granted and just assume they will always be there. I think we need a mass communication to all of us that, hey, we're all here together and your actions affect me as much as my actions affect you. So since we're part of this large community called the United States, then I need you to do your part and uphold your part. I think we're going to have to do that. I don't know about you, but I was terrified when I see people marching in Kentucky and moving into state capitals across the country with guns. That tells me you want to kill people. You want to kill the lawmakers. You want to kill the staff who work there. You want to kill the janitor. I'm a little bit concerned about that. Yeah, sure, you have rights. And you have First Amendment, Second Amendment, Third Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, every kind of amendment there is, rights. But that doesn't mean you have a, don't you have a responsibility with those rights? Your actions endanger others. Now, there are some people, when I see them, I don't want to be around them because I don't know if they're not going to take a gun out and open carry all they want and just open a gun and just start firing because they feel that their rights are threatened. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it, it's teaching us that there are some things we need to do. It has also taught us that politicians are important and that their words are important. And politicians need to take some time to study their moves and their words and their actions. It has taught us some things about our political process. But you know what else it has taught us? It's taught us about us. At the core of it, we're probably nice people, yeah? Yeah, at the core of it, we're probably okay, not bad, you know, not a bad person. So at the core of it, we probably are. But at the same time, we're going to have to think about, we we, we need some improvement. Are we really going to be so xenophobic that you see a healthcare worker who is of a different ethnicity and you're going to tell them go back home? And they are the same people who are providing. Let, let's just be clear, everybody. Black and white Americans are not going into healthcare. It's foreigners who are going into healthcare. Let's just be clear. Black and white Americans think, man, it's too long to study. I can't be bothered with all that. Black and white Americans don't pursue higher education. 
because it takes too long. They want the money now. So let's just be clear. So the people who are working in healthcare are foreigners. They look like foreigners. They look foreign-born or they're descendants of people who were born elsewhere because black and white Americans don't want to do that. And Native Americans, that's not their first choice. They don't choose to become nurses or anesthesiologists or to become a medical practitioner, to become a medical assistant, to become a, a nurse practitioner, which requires more than nowadays there to become a nurse. used to be a two-year community college course, so you get an associate's degree. Now you require a bachelor's degree. Most nurses today are highly educated. They have a master's of science in nursing. They're nurse practitioners. They have gone the, the, the additional way so they can write prescriptions and diagnose. Not just treat, but diagnose and treat. Doctors today are heavily specialized. I mean, you can find a specialty for everything under the sun. Most of those people are not black and white Americans. Not traditional born Americans like you hear other people talking about. They don't want to study. So our healthcare system is stacked with people who are foreigners. So let me ask you this question. While you're busy out there demonstrating with your guns and you have your rights, have you thought about who's going to care for you? Your doctor is Dr. Punjam Jamjam. You can't even pronounce his last name. He has 24 letters in his last name. Seriously, you want to go mess with that guy? Who has the power to write you something or not treat you? I don't know about that. So this has exposed uh, fallacies and, and areas, I call them opportunities for improvement within our society that if we pay real attention to, we will be, we can improve because make no respect about it. The coronavirus is a warning. That's a warning shot. Now that they're studying it, they're saying it's, it eventually will become like the flu where we develop mass immunity to it. But then there's going to come another one that will be what? Say it stronger, right? Because we can't control the people who go into a lab and make this stuff up. Did you all see the story where they traced the coronavirus to a lab in Wuhan? Wuhan. They traced it to a lab in Wuhan where the virus got out of control and they took the virus into the marketplace to see what would happen. So we were right all along. It's man-made. You seriously think they're not going to develop one now that they see its effects. And I wish the healthcare system would show the true images. People were bleeding from their eyes. They were vomiting blood and bleeding from their eyes. I kept saying to myself, what kind of virus is that? Now we know. So the next time they send another one, it's going to be stronger. It's more powerful. It's going to have the effect to tear up our insides. Now that they know if it affects your lung, it will kill you because you need your lungs to breathe. If it affects your brain, it probably is just going to immobilize your motor function. But if it affects your lung, it will breathe. So they're probably going to fine-tune that. I kid you not. The very same people who created the coronavirus, right, the novel coronavirus, I should say, because the coronavirus has always existed in a spectrum of viruses. That's why they refer to this one as COVID-19, because this one came out in 2019. It's the same way they're going to come up with something else. So now that we see this, we need to sit down as a country and start rethinking the ways in which we perform and do business. We also have to think about the ways in which we work. Right now, we want to go back to work. But seriously, is it safe? Really? 
the virus is still out there. We work in towers where mass numbers of people work. We're going to stand in the hallways. We're going to get on elevators, right? So nowhere is safe. You're going to go back into the pharmacy. Yeah, you can social distance and control that until some guy pulls his gun out and say, I have a right to be here. I came to pick up my prescription. I don't have time to waste. I mean, there's some things we're going to have to do to control and mitigate that. Do you see what I mean? We have people in prisons that we have imprisoned because they're a danger to the rest of us. Well, how do we treat them so whatever they have does not come into the community? Because we used to think, okay, if you lock them away and throw away the key, put them behind medium and, and maximum, is it maximum security facilities, right? Maximum. Then they're going to be okay. <laughs> but we have now found that this virus is insidious. It attaches itself to surfaces. So your attorney walks and brings his briefcase and slaps it down on the surface that has been exposed to the coronavirus. Boom, he takes it back to his office, puts it in his car. His kid and his wife comes in the car, takes it back to his office, slap it on his desk. It's all over. All the documents he touches now has it. Everybody has it. The same document goes to the clerk of court. It goes to, and it's just done. The nurse goes in and she has to be in mask, you know, masked up and gloved up. But then something happens, and before we know it, she gets it. She takes it home to her family. The security guard, is he going to have on a mask and a hazmat suit when he walks the hallways of the prison and on cell block A? So you got to understand my position. What I'm seeing is people who are in prison, they sometimes they deserve to be there. We had a guy out here in, in Detroit who killed people. He killed his girlfriend one Friday evening because she broke up with him. <laughs> he killed her. Then he laughed and took her debit card and went to the ATM machine and laughed, put on a joker mask and laughed into the camera of the ATM machine. He thought it was a joke after he had killed her. Somebody like that belongs in a maximum security facility. Michigan has no death penalty. So we have a lot of people who are doing life for a variety of things. Michigan, I think, also has the the three strikes law. Three strikes, you're out. No matter what they catch you on the third time, you are gone. We're going to have to, and for the rest of us who have family members who like to think that they can go for a joyride, they can smoke as much weed and pot as they want to, they can go and make as much mess as they want to, they can do whatever they want to do, they can go around and rape women and children, they can go around and shoot people up, shoot up people's homes, shoot up people's offices or whatever, they're a danger to us. Those people need to belong in a maximum security prison. Now, if, if, if the people who administrate prisons, they're probably going to say, we don't have the budget for that. So we just put everybody into one place, and I suspect we're going to see more and more of this as time goes by. They're going to release more data if they choose to, and we're going to see that these things happen and people are dying in prison. Maybe it will be a deterrent. Think about that. Just maybe. It might just be a deterrent. So you have some potential dude out here who thinks he's so bad. He can drive 100 miles an hour on the freeway. Who doesn't care if he hits somebody? He can do whatever he wants to do. He can take his gun out and go threaten people in the Capitol. Oh, I have my rights. Your rights are threatening and endangering me. 
but you so but you still want your rights. So well, I have a right too. I should go petition for you not to have guns. That you if you have your guns, keep it in your house. But you don't come in the capital and threaten people and march around because you have your rights. That's ridiculous. Think about that. That's community. That's affecting other people. Now, you invite me to the Capitol, I'm going to be like, who else is going to be there? Is it going to be controversial? Are people likely to show up with guns again? No, thank you. We can virtually do this one. Do you see what I'm saying? So so when you look at this, we, we have an issue. And I'm not going to say thanks to the coronavirus, but it has exposed some opportunities for improvement in our society that probably need improvement. They're giving me the wrap-up signal. I think I got to go. I have a few minutes, right? So, so when you think about it, these are the issues. I don't think that this number that we have heard from Ohio is the end-all and be-all of the statistics. I don't believe that for one second. I believe there are more people who are infected and that it's only going to get worse. But one thing is clear, and is that the pandemic has changed our society irrevocably, and that we are going to have to pay more attention to how we do, that there are some parts of our society that perhaps we never really paid attention to, but now we recognize that these are opportunities. I am just so grateful that we are a big enough society and a big country with a big economy that we at least have the resources to take care of our people, that we don't have to go to Canada and ask for help or go somewhere else and say, hey, we can't feed anybody down here. Send some food over here. I am just so grateful that we have it. And you all, we have the resources to think this through. We're smart people. We need to put our heads together and forget about being Republican and Democrat for a minute, if we can, and look at how can we minimize and mitigate this so we can help all of us. We're all in this together. It's now proven that we're all in this together, that we all benefit or not from a virus that is airborne. Now we know that for sure. They're saying that the people who marched at the Capitol in Lansing, give it a few weeks before people start what? Start manifesting symptoms of the virus. It's likely to happen. Because the virus was always out there in the air. That's why they said, do not gather in groups. Initially, they were told to, uh, to drive, but people felt like they had a right. Come on. So they got out of their vehicles with their guns. And I'm pretty sure the organizers were probably dismayed because they thought, well, we were just going to show this mass thing of people driving through the Capitol, and it's going to make the governor look so bad. She's just going to roll over and say, oh, my God, oh, my, they don't like me. She doesn't care about being liked. That's one. She's not vain. This is for her. Leadership is not about vanity. Leadership is about effectiveness. And that's a message. We need to think about what we're leading and how we're leading. We need to think about who we are leading and the effectiveness of our leadership. The barometer has to be that our leadership is effective, not because we look good on TV, not because we have sound talking points, but that we're effective. And I close on this. Joe Biden gave an interview recently. Yesterday it was posted on uh, clickondetroit.com. In that interview, he said the mayor of Detroit, Mayor Mike Dugan is someone 
who has a position in his administration. And they said, why? He said, because he goes in and he gets the job done. It's effective. That's what leadership is. Regardless, I don't always like everything the mayor does. I support him because he's the leader, but I don't always like what he does. Some days I'm like, really? Seriously, we could have done that better. From his perspective, this is what it takes to get this done. And he came into Detroit when it was bankrupt, and he brought it up so that we, I can drive down Jefferson now. Yeah, I can drive down Jefferson, and it looks clean and good. He brought it back to some semblance of what it used to be. That's leadership, effective leadership. Similarly with the governor. Effective leadership. You see what I'm saying? So now it's making us rethink I am leading, but it's not just for the polls. It's not just for the numbers. It's effective leadership. That is what we have going forward, even in our prisons. I pray for the state of Ohio. I pray for the persons who run the state and who run the prisons. you got a problem. Keep it there, please. <laughs> don't send them over here to Michigan. We don't need it. we got enough over here in southeast Michigan. But I pray for them because now, we're all seeing on the big grand stage effective leadership. Now we're seeing this is where the rubber and the metal hits the pedal. And now we're seeing I could have done a better job. Man, this was not what that was about. It's not about the vanity and looking good for the cameras. It's about being effective for the people. I think Abraham Lincoln said it. Was it he who said government of the people, by the people, for the people? That's what we're seeing. I really am sorry about it. 1,828 inmates infected in an Ohio prison north of Columbus. You know what that means for that whole area? Can you just see it? It's wow. It's massive. One person infects 40 persons. Nobody is doing social distancing. There's no social distancing in prisons. And we can't afford to because we wouldn't have enough space to build enough prisons to social distance everybody. I think we all need to come to that place where we become more responsible about our actions. I mean, everybody thinks you are your king and queen of your domain so you can do whatever you want to do. There's accountability. It's called going to jail. That's what the whole system, justice system is designed for. So now, please don't let these folks out because they are going to come out and they're going to be a danger to women and children. They're going to come out and do assaults because it doesn't matter. They don't have a sense of accountability. You know that has proven this way for us during this. You realize that? Because you and I are looking at each other and we're looking at others and we're like, I didn't make that decision. I could have. I didn't make that choice. Do you see what I mean? It's teaching us some things about ourselves and the opportunities for improvement that we can make to improve our lives and therefore affecting the lives of our community. This is Harriet Kimmer with Down to Earth. It's Tuesday, April 21st. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. I trust that you have a great day, one day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time. We're all in this together. It's up to all of us. It's all of us. And we're all in this together. I pray for you if you've lost friends and family. Pray for us here in the Southeast Michigan community of Detroit, where it's ravaged us. And for other communities throughout the country where the spotlight hasn't hit, but it is just 
as meandering through those places, as it meanders through the country. Just pray for all of us. Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much, everybody. Be blessed. Have a terrific Tuesday. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.